Right now is the time that we need to be digging in to the Word of God. Let me give you a revelation. I don't care if you're not a preacher. The Bible's not just for preachers. The Bible is not just for Bible study teachers. The Bible is not just for Sunday school teachers. The Bible is not just for those who have an official title of ministry. The Bible is for every single one of you in this room. Amen? In fact, let's go into it. If you'll make your way back to your seats. I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 40. And I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to read it with me. And after we're done reading, I want you to just hold on to that Bible for the rest of the service. Amen? I feel strongly, Brother Williams, that God is wanting the ministry right now to focus intently on equipping the saints. And I believe that the saints of God are going to have to become passionate about the Word of God. I'm going to say that one more time. You're going to have to become passionate about the Word of God. Because if you're expecting to just endure, the Bible says he that endures till the end. That endurance tells me there's going to be some stuff that's not going to be favor for you. So while all this is taking place, here's what you can stand on. You can stand on every doctrine in this book. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are some weird doctrines blowing out there in the wind. I don't know if you've exposed, been exposed to them lately, but there are people out there that are saying things that God Almighty is for transgender, and they're using Scripture. And it sounds really good if you don't know your Bible. And I'm seeing people one by one fall into it. I watched during the pandemic, pastors, let me say that, the elect walk right off. I, I, I witnessed it. I preached in the churches. They're not even in this anymore. They don't even believe in God anymore. All because of a lack of Bible. And so we have got to be people of the word. We have to be people of the word. Genesis chapter 40, verse 19. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. He lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. He let the butler live, but he killed the baker. I want to preach to you all tonight, let the baker bake. Let the baker bake. I want you to close your Bible, and I want you to hold on to it for the rest of the service. I don't want you to put it on the pew next to you. I want you to hold it in your lap, and I want there to be, I feel that there's hunger in this room. Brother Williams just confirmed it. I feel that there's hunger in this room, and I believe, I truly believe I'm not advocating that you become Bible scholars tonight. That's not, I'm not asking you to go to a Bible college and learn ancient languages. I'm asking you to fall in love with the Word of God, 
read it every moment you get and don't stop but meditate on what you read all day long think about I'd rather you read one verse and meditate on it all day than read 50 verses and never think about it again I would rather you just consume the word and live that word. I believe that there is going to be a passion that's going to flood this room tonight. And I believe that when you fall in love with the word of God, God is going to speak to you through that word. You are going to be settled in some things. You're going to have peace. You're going to look at things in the world and say, no, that's not right. That don't line up. That's not quite right. Because you're rooted and grounded in the word of God. Would you lift up your hands right now? Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I'm thankful to be here with such great people. God, I can feel their hunger for the things of the Spirit. Father, I believe that you are going to feed your people the bread of life tonight. I believe that there will be those that are going to fall so deeply in love with your word that they will be forever changed. I believe that they will be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding because of this word. I believe that you're going to solidify some things for people tonight. I believe that you're going to call some people tonight. God Almighty, there are strong men and women in this room, and I believe that they have much that they are going to accomplish in the end times. But God, we cannot do it without your word. So let us be in love with your word tonight, God. Let it consume us. Lord, let it get into our DNA this evening. God, will give you glory and honor for whatever takes place in this service. You are the one who deserves the credit for it. We won't take an ounce of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you say amen? Would you give him thanks? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated. Deep within the recesses of a dark, drab Egyptian prison resides a young man who is filled to overflowing with prophetic promise as well as brilliant potential. His life is riddled with extreme highs and extreme lows. His story begins with a dream. It's a dream that God would show him that he would accomplish later in his life. It was a word given to him of his brothers and his parents ultimately bowing down to him. He can't help but talk about his revelation, but as you'll read and find out, not just here but in many places in the Bible, that such spiritual speech has a tendency, as he will soon find out, to get you in trouble with people who aren't interested in your weird spirituality. Not only that, but when the Father gives you a mantle, carnal brethren will hate you for it. Alas, Joseph cannot help but talk about what God has shared. And in doing so, his brothers are now drunk with anger and they plot against him. And they begin to come up with an idea of throwing him into a pit on accounts of the Father's mantle and God's word in his life. This pit will be his first experience of pain when you talk about what God has revealed to you. Thoughts would ultimately go through his mind. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything at all. Maybe I should have kept the revelation to myself. It seems that speaking the word of God has brought only trouble into my life. Joseph here would experience his first extreme low. And it would be the first one in his life. And it would be because of speaking what God told him. 
This extreme low would last for a season as he would find himself in an, e- in an Egypt when an Egyptian man named Potiphar would see clearly the hand of God on his life and decides to make him an overseer of his house. Because prophetic anointing and brilliant potential still gets attention from people for your good. And you have to understand that there is a dual dimension of anointing on each of our lives. It attracts blessings, it attracts favor, but it also attracts problems. Whatever it attracts, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not, it's not to gain favor and blessings and that's your entire life and living your hashtag blessed life. I am just his and he is mine and whatever comes my way, blessed be the name of the Lord. Joseph will discover this, that the anointing, the prophetic call, the extreme brilliance that he has, it would attract favor as well as pits. This would turn out to be a good choice for Potiphar because God blessed all his house on account of this young man. Joseph is finally hitting his first high. And as he's hitting this high, it doesn't live out as long as his extreme low did. He Maybe, he's thinking to himself, maybe this calling will come with blessings. He thinks to himself, maybe it's not weird after all to have a revelation and to speak what thus saith the word of God. Maybe it's not such a terrible thing to have revelations through the word and tell people about it. And yet we would see that that extreme high would last as long as the last extreme low that preceded it. When an adulterous spirit would lay her longing eyes upon him and we will find out that having prophetic promise And brilliant potential will only get you so far. Just because you're called, just because there's a prophecy in your life, just because you've got a mantle from the Father, doesn't mean that you are now impervious to the longing eyes of adulterous spirits. The spirits still want to see the one with prophetic promise and brilliant potential fall. And it's in this moment that this adulterous Jezebel spirit that is controlling Potiphar's wife sets her affections on him in Genesis 39. And in verse 7 it says, It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Without reservation, very in your face, lie with me. But he refused. Now you're going to have to understand something here. That there's going to have to be a character that comes into alignment with the call. There's some things, you understand that Joseph doesn't have a Bible. This is Genesis, y'all. He doesn't, Moses isn't on the scene yet. Moses has not written the five books yet. Joseph's got nothing but the word that God gave him in prayer. And he says, how could I do this? There is something within each of us. There is a moral desire that is within us. We know if we never even had a Bible that it's not okay to kick grandma. You are born with a moral compass. That doesn't alleviate the word of God, but there's something inside of you called your conscience that will guide you. And that is when you couple that with the spirit and the word, you are a force to be reckoned with. And here we see that he refuses. He says, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in his house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin? Not against Potiphar, he says. He says, how can I sin against God? I'm not just being obedient because my leader says so. I'm doing this because I'm trying to represent this God who's called me. 
he tells her, I'm not going to do this. In verse 10, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. You understand that spirit's not quitting. You realize that, right? In fact, she's probably more offended now because someone exhibited some self-control and she's feeling a little insecure. Maybe he doesn't think I'm hot enough. And so she's going to keep on pressing the topic until she can feel good about herself. Because this is a little offensive, I would imagine. So she would speak to him day by day. But he did not heed her to lie with her, to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment. Oh, goodness, here we go again. Yet another garment getting me into trouble. And he, she says to him, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. If the mantle's going to cause me to be out of alignment with God, you can keep the mantle. I'd rather have that man than that mantle. I want the mantle to be in alignment with that man, and this one's not, because if this mantle means I've got to lie with you and sin against God, you can have it, Bubba. Prophetic promise and brilliant potential have submitted themselves to integrity, and integrity has given way to wisdom, and wisdom has whispered to Joseph, separate yourself. You hear this? But another extreme low on account of the word is coming. And for the second time, a mantle will bring about misery for Joseph as it lands him in yet another prison. And here we find ourselves where we began here in this sermon, where a young man is in a dark, drab Egyptian prison. This new extreme low will bring an astounding revelation to this young Joseph. For Genesis 39, 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Wherever you go, young man with prophetic calling and with brilliant potential, but now you have integrity and you have wisdom, and you've shown me that you can separate yourself from Jezebel even though she wants you, and you're willing to let go of a coat that could buy you a free ride through Egypt. As long as I see you're willing to let go of that stuff, even though you're in a prison, I'll be with you. I'll show you mercy, and I'm going to bring you to the top of this prison because wherever you are, so long as you're acting like me, you are going to be okay, Joseph. You see, there's something powerful that's emerging within this story for each of us. You and I have more than what Joseph even has, for we have a Bible. That if we could have brilliant potential, prophetic promise, integrity, wisdom, separation, and the word... What on earth can be done in our lives? All we need but do is look at Joseph, that wherever he found himself, whether it's in Potiphar's house, he's going to be brought to the top. If he loses Potiphar's house on account of separation, even in a prison, God's going to be with him and bring him to the top yet again because God liked what he was seeing in Joseph. It looks a lot like me down there. There's a boy made in my image who's obeying my ordinances. I am pleased with him, and I'm going to be with him, and I'm going to make everything he puts his hand to excel. And the keeper of the prison, sure enough, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This may not be the fulfillment of what God showed me, but he's still with me. As long as I remain a man of the word, then God will make me to prosper even in fiery seasons of trouble. 
The literal mantle may be in the hands of Jezebel, but the mantle God put on me when I had that dream is still here. Even though I'm in a prison, I lost nothing by separating myself from the longing eyes of the Jezebel spirit. Here I am in this problem, but God's here as well. This fiery season was allowed for a specific reason that would not only minister in the present, but also all the way into the Second Testament where we would get a greater revelation. Little did Joseph know that every step was being ordered by God, and it was perfect alignment for what God would tell us later in the book of Matthew. All of this was one line upon line, and Joseph is living out prophecies by just being obedient to God and saying, I cannot do this on account of the word. Also within this dark, drab prison designed to wear out a generation were two individuals, a butler and a baker. Genesis 40 and 4 says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Hear that again. Joseph is serving a butler and a baker. Or do you hear it? Joseph is the highest one in rank in that prison. Everybody's under his charge. These are two prisoners who are under him. What is going on in Joseph that he says, let me go serve the butler and the baker? Joseph, even though he was above them, still came to a level of serving them. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. You hear this, within the minds of a butler and a baker was revelation that God gave them that needed to have a representative of a generation come and extract it from their minds. There is revelation that God gave and it's locked up inside of a butler and a baker. And what those butlers and bakers needed was someone to come and inquire of the revelation. Okay? Follow me here. Joseph came in verse 6. And in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. Joseph came and he looked at them. And with great concern, he looks at the butler and the baker. And he says, hey, is everything okay? He's serving them. And at the moment of concern, and the, he's inquiring of their faces. Brother Dustin, he looks at the face of the baker and he says, hey, you, there's, there's a burden on you. I can see it because I've been serving you. I've been, I've been looking at you. I know that I'm the leader here, but I, I'm analyzing your face and you don't, you don't look like you've been looking. I can discern burden within you. What's going on within you? And I see also the burden on the butler. What's wrong? Is everything okay? He asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. Joseph set his eyes on two individuals and begins to study them. Do you hear this? He studies their faces and he perceives burden. He not only studies their faces, but he inquires. He asks questions. Why do you look sad today? To which 
Here's the powerful thing. They reveal to him, we have had a dream last night. And there is no one to explain. The word interpret there, there's no explainer out there. There's no one inquiring of us. There's no one seeking our faces. There's no one looking at us and discerning what's wrong. We need someone to explain what's locked up inside of us. We've been waiting on someone to inquire so that they can explain the meaning. This young man quickly lets them know. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. I'm dying to know what revelations lie within you, Brother Butler. I need to know what revelations lie within you, Brother Baker. Tell me. I want to serve you. I want to discern you. I want to analyze your face. I want to ask you questions. I want to explain what's inside of you. Tell me, please, he says. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. It was though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, I'm, I'm in relationship with God and the interpretations belong to him. It's not because I'm smart. I'm just getting revelation from the one who gives it. But by analyzing the butler and being in relationship with God, he's giving me explanation right now. And he gives him an explanation. He says, within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. The young man immediately gets revelation from the God that he's in relationship with and he analyzes the face he hears the mind of the butler he hears the word of the butler and he's getting revelation and in that moment something powerful is happening prophecies coming forth and it's reciprocating from a butler to a young man who's analyzing the face and it's all beginning to come to pass Joseph have a, has a revelation of the one in charge of wine and excited to see that there's one with zeal to study the face and mind of the butler the explanation is now good the baker now says oh I see that there's somebody willing to study us I see that somebody's concerned about the burden we have I see that somebody wants to know what's on our mind and I see that someone is submitted to God and knows that he is the interpreter. Let me tell you what I have seen. And the baker then volunteers. He says, I also was in a dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. And so Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. The revelation of the baker would sound similar, but it would have a different ending. He would also be lifted up on a third day, just like the butler. And you can't help but hear it. The words lift up, keep recurring in both interpretations lift up one will be lifted up and restored one whose head will be lifted off of him through death and it'll both happen on the third day and already some of you who's been reading your Bible you're starting to think about some things that's happening in the New Testament and you're beginning to wonder could this be could this be you're doing what you're supposed to do you're comparing what you're reading now to what's going to happen later because you've been studying the face of the baker you already know what's on the mind of the 
baker because you've been inquiring of the word of God. And you're starting to see, is this somehow pointing towards the New Testament? Is this somehow the third day where Christ will be lifted up? But nevertheless, let's look what happens. Sure enough, the vision comes to pass, Genesis 40, 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted it. On the third day, they are taken from prison, and both of them are lifted up, one to his former position, and one loses his life. And he is hanged on a tree. You see, this young Joseph sought the face of the butler and the baker. Pharaoh, however, I just want the butler. I don't want the baker. I have been discerning that there is a spirit of Pharaoh that has been sweeping our churches. The spirit of Pharaoh has infiltrated into the lives of all of us. And we now have seen that the Bible in our minds cannot compete with Netflix. The Bible cannot compete with our entertainment. The Bible cannot compete with the joy that we want. It can't compete. It's not as entertaining as YouTube. Until you start inquiring it and you'll see it is far better than any of those things. But what we have is we have become like Pharaoh where we say, I want the wine because it makes me feel good. I don't want the bread, though. Watching the carbs, y'all. Give me what's going to make me have an endorphin hit through the blood. Just don't give me the bread. The reason why this has such profound implications is because Jesus would come and later tell us. He says, I have bread that you know not of. And they said, give us some of this bread. He said, oh, I've got, I've got bread that will make you live. And they said, give us some of this bread always. He says, no, what you don't understand, he said, Moses was in the wilderness with you and you had bread from heaven. He said, oh, that was just a foretelling of what was coming. I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh, you will not live. And unless you drink my blood, you will not live. He then goes to that last supper and he sits down and he pours the wine of that communion cup and he says here drink for this is my blood and they drank that wine and they said ah we can taste the flavors of the blood of Jesus and then he takes that bread and he doesn't keep it to himself but he breaks the bread he says here take this is my body the only way that I can disperse the bread to the entire world is unless it be broken and so I'm going to have to go to a tree have you been reading the story of Joseph don't become like Pharaoh don't just get enamored with my blood and forsake my word we cannot become like Pharaoh where we say give me the blood of Jesus that covers my sins give me the blood of the Savior that makes me feel better about myself because it washes away all my problems and I'm so thankful for the blood here I'm the type of person that I want to go and I want to sit with the butler and I want to analyze the face of the butler I want to know all the flavors of the blood of Jesus when I drink that communion cup I want to be like Paul and say I can taste the nine flavors of the fruit of the spirit I can taste 
you know what? Let's knock it back another time. Oh, I can taste a subtle hint of love. Oh, let's taste it again. I taste joy. I taste peace. I taste some patience in that cup. I want every flavor and I want to analyze it. I want to look at the face of the blood and say, because of that blood, I am now saved. Because of that blood, I was a I was out there as an orphan, but now I've been adopted, and that spirit comes into me and it cries out that I am adopted and it cries out, Abba Father. I love the blood of Jesus. I'm going to preach it till the rapture. But while I'm in love with that, I need to also come over here and I need to analyze the face of the baker. And I need to look within the face of the baker. And on top of the mind of that baker, and if you'll just allow me a little bit to use an allegory right here, I know what the Bible says. I know that it was talking about three days, but just allow me a little bit of, of allegory right now. On top of the head of that baker was three levels of baskets of bread. I am not satisfied with just one dimension of the word. I'm not satisfied with just knowing that I serve one God. I want to know who that one God is. I am not satisfied with just knowing his name is Jesus. I want to know what that name means. I am not satisfied with just knowing that I need to be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to know that I'm a son. I want to know about justification. I want to know about sanctification. I want to know about holiness. I want to know about everything that's in that book. So what I'm going to do is while we've got a whole people group that just want the blood of Jesus, I'm looking over at you and I'm saying, I want the blood and the bread. I want that baker baking bread every single day in my life. I want to wake up thinking about the word. I want to read the word in the morning in front of my family. And I want to spend the rest of my day thinking about what I read in the morning. I don't want to just attend church to check it off the list so that I could feel better about myself and say I attended this week. I want to be the church. I want to know what the doctrine of the church is. I want to know what that looks like. I want, to, I want to bear fruit, but I won't know to do any of those things unless I analyze the face of the baker. I don't want just the blood. I want the bread as well. I want the body of Christ. And here's where we are. We're in this weird movement right now where we want grace. We don't want truth. You understand that man and woman coming together becomes one. You understand that. You, you get that, right? That's, that's as old as time. That's the first prophecy where God spoke to Adam and Eve. He said, these two shall come together and become one. They shall leave mother and father. That was a prophecy because they didn't have a mom and dad. They were the first creation. And that was a prophecy of us later. And he was talking, I said, these two are going to become one. You understand that that is a symbol of God. That is an image of God. These two coming into matrimony. The man is going to show forth one side of me, warrior, provider, protector. But the woman is going to show forth the other side of my character that's going to be nurturer lover peacekeeper and these two when they come together it's going to be an amazing thing you cannot just have a warring God you also have to have a merciful God you understand that Jesus embodied all of that when he shows up and he stands in front of accusers in front of a harlot and he says ye without sin cast the first stone and they saw the grace of God oh I want the blood of Jesus look he protects me from mine accusers but if you're going to accept that Jesus you better be okay with the next dimension of Jesus where the man rolls up in him and he says you go and sin no more though if you're going to receive grace receive truth with it you don't get to pick which one you want you don't get to just have the blood of Jesus if you get the blood you get the word I you realize I just had a massive debate with a pastor this is what he said. He said, we have seen more people receive the Holy Ghost during the worship than I've ever seen people receive the Holy Ghost after preaching. 
He said, we need more worship. We don't need more word. That's insanity. That's, that's anarchy. And I told him, I said, how would you know to worship without the word? I said, now let me bring you another dimension. What did the people of Israel do when Ezra rose up and read the Bible? They fell down and worshipped. I said, your worship is geared towards a bunch of people who's entertaining you through music. True worship comes when our ears hear precious scripture. When you hear the word of God, something should come over you that says these ears are not worthy to hear such words. You realize that the Jewish people would call God Hashem, which is Hebrew for the name, because they were too afraid to even say his name, because they said our mouths are not worthy to even mention those four letters his name is beyond our human tongues and now we hear the word and we sit and we just say well that's cool can you entertain me with something we've turned preaching into entertainment we go to conferences and we say yeah it was all right and you know I've heard better you want to set my behind on fire say that in my midst because I look at you and I say I don't care who preached or how skilled it was. The moment they read their text, it was good. Because the word of God was in our midst. And they read it. And the word of God is powerful. Something should come over us. We need a re... You want a revival? Here's what A.J. Holloway wants. I want a re-Bible. I want it to when somebody just gets up and reads the opening text. The whole room falls in worship. And begins to lift up the one true God. And we not even have to get into a sermon. Because we're so in love with the word of God. We love the bread we love the the blood I love the baptism I love the baptism in the name I love the the blood that washed away my sins but what about the bread those priests when they would get ready to go into that tabernacle in the wilderness there would be bread baking in there and they would smell it and they say oh we're gonna go eat bread in the presence of God when you start to read your Bible and you start to fall in love with it it goes into your mind and this becomes a bakery up here where the bread of life is sending up smells up to heaven and our high priest according to Hebrews comes down and he goes oh somebody's cooking some bread today and he comes down and he sits with us and he you realize that in Malachi, the book of Malachi says that he listens in when people begin to talk about the word and his ears are right there and he says, oh, somebody's talking about me. Somebody's talking about my word. And when they begin to talk about his word, this is what the Bible says he does. He listens and says, oh, they're talking about my Bible. And then he goes and he writes in a book of remembrance about them. I want God, I hope that I've got a book this thick because everybody I come in contact with, I say, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about more of the word. And when that happens, God comes down he smells that bread and he begins to listen in he looks up at heaven he goes oh they're talking about my word tonight they're talking about it I'm listening to it oh it's good it's real good it smells great and he goes back into the courts of heaven and he writes down in a book a remembrance of us that's what I want to be talking about you can talk about politics you can talk about the weather you can talk about the news you can talk about the large mouth bass as for me and my house I want a remembrance of the Holloway home I want to get to heaven and God says son you didn't do you always talked about me, didn't you? And I'm going to look at him and say, yes, I wanted to bake bread in that house. All I want is the word of God. I'm infatuated with the word of God. Why, Brother Holloway? You're looking at a testimony. I would not be here if it weren't for the word of God. 
I love that woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She listens and she goes, I am in love with that grace. And when she saw, grace always comes first, okay? When grace goes first, then he says, now you know I love you. Now you'll believe what I say. And he tells truth. Truth doesn't hurt your feelings when you see how much he loves you. And when you can see the blood, you want the bread. And that's, that's a perfect example. But then there's another guy in the Bible who doesn't do what she does. It's the man who is at the pool of Bethsaida. And while he's out there, he is a Jewish boy sitting at a pagan pool. I know we preach it that the angel stirred the waters, but we have done geological digs, and we know that that was a pool dedicated to the Roman goddesses. And so he's out there hanging out by a Roman pool, hoping to get a miracle from the world. And Jesus, on Sabbath, goes there. Jesus is supposed to be at synagogue right now. Jesus goes to a place where this young boy shouldn't be. Why? And he's breaking Sabbath. Why? There's some blood needs to be poured out over there. I'm not breaking the law. I'm putting the law on pause for a minute so that I can pour some blood out. And so he goes out there and he says, I'm going to go back to the law. But right now, there's a need of blood. There's a need of the butler. And he goes and he finds that boy and he goes, hey, son, you want to walk? Yeah, but I have nobody to put me in the pool. He's like, I'll take up your bed and walk. Hold up. T, you realize that taking up your, your bed on Sabbath is against the law? That's work. You could get arrested for doing that. And then Jesus goes another step and he goes, go show yourself to the priests. That's the worst thing you can do. That's like going and knocking on the police station door and saying, hey, I knocked over that bank. And so he's like, okay. So he goes and he shows the priest. He's like, I was healed. He's in love with the blood. Mercy met me today. The mercy of God broke Sabbath and met me. I shouldn't have even been at the pool. And the grace of God came and wrapped me up. Oh, I'm in love with that Savior. And they looked at him, couldn't care less. And they said, who healed you? Who told you to carry that bed on Sabbath? Oh, I don't know who it was. Oh, you know exactly who it was. You're protecting Jesus because you know he'll get arrested. Watch what happens. Before you think that Jesus is just a lawbreaker because that's what people in the world are saying and they use these scriptures, Jesus was breaking the law, then if he was, then why did he go back to synagogue that day? You understand? All that stuff sounds good on the Instagram until you read your Bibles. He goes back and he says, look, I'm not throwing the whole law in the trash. I'm just showing you that I am God of the Sabbath. And I'm going to pour out blood. I'm going to choose life over law for a moment. But the law is still my tutor. And I'm going to go and rest in that until there's another need. And so while he's there at synagogue, the young boy shows up. And the young boy gets there and he gets a different Jesus, y'all. Jesus looks at him and he says, go get the sin out of your life. Let something worse come upon you than that paralysis you had. Oh, that's a totally different Jesus, isn't it? I thought you was pouring out blood on me. I thought you were the nice, cuddly, unicorn Jesus. No, you saw one side of me. You saw my blood. You saw my grace. You saw my nurturing side. But today, now that you know I love you, now you should know my truth. And that young boy, you know what he does? He went and told the Pharisees, hey, Jesus healed me. You know what that tells me? The spirit of Pharaoh, when it's on somebody, I can smell the spirit of Pharaoh a mile away. Here's what it looks like. Y'all ready? It's because some of y'all might have it. Here's how you'll know. Here's the litmus test if you've got the spirit of Pharaoh. I want to walk, just not with Jesus. 
I want miracles. I want blessings. I want goodness. I want forgiveness. I just don't want to do anything that book commands of me. I want him to love on me. I want him to pat me on the back. I want him to affirm me. I want him to tell me I'm a good old boy. I want him to tell me I'm a good mom. I just don't want him to ask me of anything. If you're going to receive the cup of affliction, you better have the body as well. You don't get to pick and choose and say, nah, I just want the endorphin hit from the blood. I just want the wine. That's all I want. You don't get to say that. What we have to do is we have to sit down and say, I want to know what that blood tastes like. And I want to taste and see that he is good. But I also want that bread. You ask me of things. You Don't just ask me of things, but nail some things down so that when I'm getting all out of whack, I want to dig past that upper basket. I want to go to the second basket. I want to go to the third basket. And I want to see what's on your mind. I want to be... A a student of the word of God. I didn't say scholar. I said student. Every one of us are commanded by God to sit down and to read this book. The Bible says in Psalm 1, sit and meditate upon these precepts day and night. That is our calling for all of us. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the ministry team. It's not just for the leaders. Every single human in this room, your commandment is to sit down with the word of God. But Brother Holloway, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Keep reading. It. You don't have to know all the ingredients in the bread to not know that it tastes good, though. You can still eat the bread and say, this is good. I don't, I don't understand all of it. I don't know how bread is made in the natural. I just know I like it. I just know it tastes good. And there's a point where you're going to get fascinated with it, and you're going to become an aficionado of the Word of God. You can't help it. And while you're analyzing the face of that baker, that baker's going to start talking. And it's going to say, here's the revelation that's on my mind. Here's the things that we have seen. And the blood is going to speak some things over you but the baker is going to speak some things to you it's inevitable that if you are hungry for the bread the bread is going to feed you and that baker is going to look at you and say here's some things every one of you should have revelation in your life to those that are given revelation and does nothing with it God will take it and give it to somebody who wants the bread and you will not only lose the revelation but you will go further backwards that's in Jesus' parables if you do nothing with the revelations I'm giving you and you say that you don't want it I'll take that bread out of your hand and I'll go and give it to somebody else that's hungry and they will make more bread so that they can disperse it I've seen people that don't invest in revelation what they do is they lose the initial revelation they had to begin with I've watched it left and right I've been in this a long time and I've watched ministers who just said I want to preach good I just don't want to eat this bread I just want to have a good sermon that's oratory preaching I want authority preaching the only way you can preach with authority is when you study this book know what it says and go live it and then preach it because when you are living what you're preaching through the word of God all the angels of heaven come into the room and they say there's one in the image of God who's living what they're saying we'll back him up We'll back her up. We will amen them because they're in alignment. There's bread in their souls. There's bread in their life. You're a different person. You preach with an authority. You speak with an authority. When you give a Bible study, demons begin to tremble and they say, oh, we're not afraid of you, but that bread that's inside of you, we've seen that before. We can't do a thing with that. There's got to be a passion that comes over every one of us for the bread of life. Don't settle just and just say, you know what? I want to be a Christian. I want forgiveness from God. You better also have a baker in your life let that baker bake I was sitting with my grandpa this is probably 10 years ago now I walked into a hospital room 
powerful man of God, Juan Diaz. I'm half Hispanic if nobody knows it. I don't look it, but whatever. And so I sat down with him, walked into that hospital room. God had spoken to me, and he said, I'm going to bring Juan Diaz home. He's not got a lot of time left. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to go sit with him. Now, please understand the context of Juan Diaz. He has already been in the hospital once. He had a car accident at 80 years old. The entire left side of his body was crushed in a car accident. And there he was laid up on a hospital bed. He had a bolt tied, uh, screwed in the top of his head with a weight on it to keep his neck straight. He only had mobility with one hand. My aunt, who was a backslider, walked into the hospital room, and she said, how in the world could God let this happen to a man of God like him? He raised his hand up that was still active and he said don't you talk about my savior I was chosen for the fire and I am honored to be able to suffer for his name's sake that's the man of God I'm about to talk about but then this is the second time that he was in a hospital and I knew that this was going to be it brother Williams and I walked in that hospital room and I said Papa you got any words for a young man and he always messed with me he'd look at me when I'd walk in he goes you still believe in oneness son that's what he would say to me every time I walked in I said oh yes sir I still believe it he said do you love it I said I love it more than anything do you believe in the gospel mijo and I would say yes sir I love it and he said okay and that's all he would say this time it was different though I walked in I said papa you got he didn't say any jokes this time I said you got any word for this young man and he grabbed me by the hand and all he said he quoted from memory Job 38 every verse by memory this is a man who doesn't even know English he taught himself English by reading the Bible and he was this is the same man my grandmother would put a Bible in his lunch basket and when I would ask nanny why is there a Bible in Papa's lunch basket. She would say, Mijo, these are the days when Papa eats the word. And so I would sit there and he would quote to me Job 38, every verse, the entire chapter from memory. And he got to the end and he said, I don't fear death, son. And I said, what do you fear? He said, I fear the Lord. I said, what, what word do you have for me? He said, every time you open this book, he said, you behold the face of God. He said, this is God for me and you. For the word became flesh and it dwelled amongst us. He said, when you open this book, he said, I want you to tremble at his word. For your eyes are not worthy to even look upon his face. He said, you tell people fall in love with this book. I said, Papa, is that why you could endure such hardships and never get mad at God? He said, it's because of the Lord that I know what I know. It's because of the this book that I'm able to stand it's because of this book that I'm not afraid to die he said I know I'm leaving this earth and I'm not concerned one bit because this word tells me what I'm inheriting and I said oh God you give me what Papa Diaz had I'm standing as witness in front of a group of people that this should not sit on a mantle this is never supposed to be sitting in the back of a pew for some guests this should be the most precious thing in your life. This should be the thing that you can't wait to read every morning. I don't care if you don't understand it. Who can understand God fully? But you can go and read and analyze his face if this is the face of God. I want to know the dimples. I want to know his eye color. I want to know what he sounds like. I want to be enthralled with him. It's not just a book. This book is so unique because while you're reading it, it's reading 
hating you. And it's pointing everything out in you that doesn't belong. It's offending you. It's got two blades. One on side of it defends you. The other blade on the other side offends you. Don't get mad at it when it hurts your feelings. It's for your good because he chastens whom he loves. And he's correcting us. He's aligning us. He's showing us our issues. And he's saying, don't worry. There's blood for it. The bread hurts your feelings, but the blood will heal it. That bread is making you mad at me, but the blood will make you happy about it because I died for you. We need to have the butler and the baker. I want you to hold that book up right now, and I want you to begin to pray. I believe that there's angels in this room right now, and I believe that God wants to baptize us with a passion for the Word of God. This is the answer. You're not going to endure the end times just on a prayer life. You're going to have to have a study life in accordance to your prayer life. You need to know how to pray, but you need to know how to read your Word. You need to know doctrine. You need to to stand on this doctrine. You need to quote this doctrine, teach this doctrine, preach this doctrine, exhort this doctrine. Everything that you could possibly need is hidden in the face of God. And he's waiting on somebody with prophetic promise and brilliant potential to analyze the face of the baker and say, hey, I'm discerning burden here and I want to know what it's all about. And you'll be surprised that that baker will start talking to you and he'll say, we was waiting on somebody to just come and ask us some questions. Now go and explain what we've told you. This bread talks. If the blood of Jesus speaks better words than those of Abel, then his word speaks words as well. He will talk to you through this book. He's going to speak things to you through his word. He will confirm things for you. He'll correct things in you. He'll tell you, no, that's not the right call. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you character. He's going to give you integrity. He'll speak prophecies over you, but you got to get in the Word to see them and hear them. Come on, you guys not looking for Bible scholars. He's looking for hungry people that just want some bread. He's looking for some people that's going to start reading it. You'll fall in love with the gospel through the word. It's not just preaching. Preaching is not going to be enough. You need word with preaching. You had to be like that Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading his Bible when a preacher showed up. And the preacher said, understandest what thou readest? How can I? But he had to read something.
Media, can you get for me Genesis 41, 33 through 43? I want us to stand. In fact, get ready to come to these altars. I feel an altar of commitment tonight. You understand, I, I've heard this a lot. Brother Holloway, Sanhedrin looked at Peter and the disciples said, Are these not ignorant? Fishermen, they weren't talking about ignorance to biblical things. They were ignorant to the Pharisaical laws and the judicial system, not Bible. In that culture, every Jewish boy knew the Torah by five. They were not biblically illiterate. Jesus wouldn't have called them. In fact, to prove that point, Peter stands up in Acts 2. And a bunch of people are scoffing, and they're saying, look at these fools, they're drunk. They're just, they're hitting up the bottle, they're drinking up the blood. And one with a baker stood up, and he says, no, 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 this is that. And he quotes from memory Joel 2.28. You know what that tells me? That you've got no business being in charge of Pentecost if you don't know Bible. Because you won't know what this is unless you have read that. Peter would have joined with the naysayers. He's like, yeah, you're right. This is weird. This is a little goofy. But Peter with gumption and with, with passion stood up and he says, no, no, no. I've been reading my Bible and I know exactly what this is. This looks exactly like that. To prove that to you, here's, here's what the church of God gets. When you start digesting the bread, God starts positioning you. He starts putting you in places that you never thought you were capable of being in. Peter would have never thought to himself, you know, someday I'll be at Pentecost preaching. No, God put him there because he knew Bible. He says, no, I'm going to trust you with end time things because you're not going to be swayed back and forth with every wind of doctrine. You're going to be firmly rooted. I'm going to go find me a man who's out there who really knows the Bible. Paul, I'm going to use you quite a bit because you know your Bible. Paul, Peter, James, John, they weren't ignorant to the Bible, they were ignorant to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the way they did the law, but they knew their Bibles. Here's what the people of God get, Genesis 41, 33. Get ready. It says, now there 
It tells us that now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find one such as this? That, is there anybody else like this in all the land? He said, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house. All my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see... I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over the whole land of Egypt. A young man who understood and analyzed the butler and the baker rises yet again to another high. And he is, he is now concrete in that high. And God says to the one who knows word to the one who analyzes blood and bread to the one who knows the discerning of that spirit to the one who knows the interpretation belongs to God and not a good preacher you see we got a lot of good preachers who are taking credit for their intellect and their ability to preach that's not the will of God we are to say God is the one who spoke it to me and I'm just repeating what was told to me when I analyzed the face of the baker it's not about preaching good sermons it's not about looking smart in front of everybody it's not about saying something that nobody else has ever said it's all about God positioning us and saying there's somebody who knows how to manage the bread here's what I'll do I'll put you over the whole grain because you're going to feed an entire group of people now let me just let's break this down a little bit more culturally y'all ready do you know what was taught to every Jewish boy starting with Abraham you feed people who are in need it's called the Igla Rufa it's a Hebrew thing. When Abraham called those two, those three men into his tent and washed their feet and gave them food for their journey, it became a Jewish custom that they would teach the Jewish boys. By the age of six, all Jewish boys knew, anytime a stranger comes by, we don't know if we're entertaining angels unaware, we're going to send them away with food and wine and make sure they have food for their journey. The word gets back to Joseph's father, and the word comes back, and he says, Joseph's alive. The Redeemer's living. And Jacob says, I don't believe it. I saw the bloody mantle myself. He cannot be alive. The Bible says he looked up and he saw Egyptian wagons filled with food and immediately he believes why because Jacob said there's only one person in all of Egypt that knows to send food for the journey because that's what we teach that's our doctrine that's what we know and if there's food on Egyptian wagons then I believe the Redeemer's living right now your entire calling is to study the word of God store it up in a storehouse and then to go and break bread and give it because that's how they'll know that the Redeemer lives because nobody else 
is doing that in the world, but the people of God. That's the people of God's doctrine. That's what we, we don't eat the bread so that we can be smarter than people. We eat the bread so we can break it and give it. That's what we do. And when we break that bread and we sit down with people and we look at them and we say, here's what this is all about. Today, me and Pastor Dustin was sitting at Starbucks and a gentleman, unbeknownst to us, was listening in on our conversation. And we're talking about end time stuff. And he walks up and he goes, what are you guys talking about? And I, he said, I can hear what y'all are talking about. He said, what are y'all afraid of? I said, absolutely nothing. And he said, how come you're not afraid of anything? I said, because of the gospel. He said, I like that answer. Where's y'all's church? Right? He said, where's your church at? Because people don't talk like this. He got a revelation that the Redeemer lives when two people started baking bread. And when we started talking the word of God, according to Malachi, God himself showed up and listened in. He said, oh, they're talking about me. They're talking about the word of God. Let's go write a remembrance of them and let everybody in the vicinity know that there's silos that are in Starbucks that's full of bread. And we want to give this bread. It's not just for my benefit. It's for those in the end times. So that bread is not just to nail it down for you. That bread is to serve the rest of the people because that's what Joseph does. Can I serve the butler and the baker? I want you to come to these altars right now. I want you to thrust those hands up in the air with that Bible and I want you to commit yourself. This is an altar of commitment tonight. It's not just not just to weep. I'm not here to make you feel bad if you haven't been reading your Bible. That's not the intention of this. I am calling you in to a deeper dimension of the love of the Word of God. I want you to lift those hands up and say, God, I see see it. I see how powerful this word is. I'm going to start tomorrow. If it's even just five verses tomorrow, it's not a race to see who can read the most. That's not what we're advocating. It's the person that just gets in the book. The Spirit might tell you to stop after reading one verse. Just follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. But start tomorrow. But Brother Holloway, tomorrow's Sunday. Read it before service. Unbeknownst to you, you might read something that the Lord would have me preach tomorrow. And you'll say, there it is. That's confirmation. God's going to store up bread inside of you. All of you are going to become silos that wherever you are, when you talk about the Word of God, He's going to write a book of remembrance and He's going to send you. He's going to elevate you. He's going to position you because you know what this is because you've been reading that. God will put you in proximity of the scoffers and you'll be able to say, no, this is that because I've been studying the face of the baker. Let that baker bake tonight. Let it start tonight. Go back to your houses and begin to make a plan. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to study these doctrines. I'm not, it's not enough for me to just hear it from a pulpit. I got to know it for myself. I'm going to study. I'm going to get me a study Bible. I'm going to be reading it. I'm going to dissect it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to preach it. Oh, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that a burden would settle across this entire room for the love of your word. Come on, that's it. There's burden that's in this room. There's an angelic host that has come into this house, and he's delivering burdens to each of you. God hasn't come to put you on blast for not doing enough. That is the opposite of what's happening here tonight. God is calling us to a deeper dimension of word tonight. That's what he's doing. He's waving his hand, and he's looking at his children and saying, come out here with me a little bit farther. I'm not mad at you. I want you to analyze my face, though. Come a little closer to me. 
We come close through the word. That's how we draw near him. I want all the ministry to come and just line up right here. All the ministry. Line up right here in front of the pulpit. And I want all the people of God to gather around them. Pastors, Sunday school teachers, Bible study teachers, all the leaders just right up here. God's called you to a place of ministry. Paul told the church, he said, pray for me. For there's a door in front of me. Pray for me. Help me. I want to walk through that door. This is the body of Christ. I want you, in a moment, I want you to pray for these leaders. The Bible says to pay double honor to those who labor in doctrine and the word. That's what Paul told Timothy. But leaders, let me talk to you for a minute. Let me just help you. I know that you, you want to know what all your calling is, what you're supposed to do with that calling, what, all that stuff. That's all the questions that we have. I'm going to make it real easy for you. It's as, it's as simple as I can make it right here. It's Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. I'm going to make it real simple for you. Here's your entire ministry right here. Here's your calling. This is what you're supposed to give yourself over to, okay? It says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Okay. For what? For the equipping of the saints. The word equip in Greek there means to bring someone or something to completion. Your calling is not to have a fresh word and to preach some pretty little sermon. Your entire reason of being called by God is to bring people to a place of completion. That's your, that's your calling. Does God give you fresh word and you preach it? Absolutely. But that's not your priority. God does that. Your priority is for the equipping of the saints and for the work of ministry. What is ministry? The work ministry, it is a work that a person is obliged to perform by moral or legal reasons. Your legal reason for the work of ministry is because Jesus showed us ministry by taking up a towel. The butler and the baker came down to serve <laughs> till we all come to the unity of the faith. You know why we don't have unity? We don't, we don't all believe the same thing because we haven't been teaching. 
will come into unity when we're teaching the unity of the faith. The faith is, here's what the Bible teaches as belief. And when we teach that, everybody agrees on it. We're looking for unity, not uniformity. We come into this room, and by one faith, we come under the banner of one word, one God, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And when we teach that, we all agree, and we're unified in the gospel. To the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is your calling. Here it is. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. That we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ That's your calling. There it is. That's your ministry. Your job is to go and eat this up and then break it and go and give it for the equipping of the saints. Saints, don't get mad at them. Don't get frustrated at them. Pray for them. Paul said, pray for me. There's a door open before me. Pray that God would begin to put them in position. And that's your calling right there. You give yourself over. This is your life now. This is what, sit down and count the cost. If this is not what you want to do, go do something else. Find something else. Go, go sell shoes. I don't care. Just don't do this. Don't make the ministry look bad because you don't want to read your Bible. And don't get up and preach stuff that's not in this book because you haven't been reading it. Your calling is to dissect this, eat this, pray this, live this, and go preach this. That's your calling. I'm being straightforward with you because I love you. This is our calling right here. We cannot rely on anything else. I'm not trying to preach pretty sermons. I'm trying to preach doctrine so that people can be nailed down in their faith and that we can all grow up into the head, which is Christ. So ministries, I want you to throw your hands up right now and I want you to give yourself over completely to this work right here. Saints of God, there is no separation between the clergy and lady. That's a that's a man-made construct. But right now, holy ones, I want you to pray for the leadership right now that God would use them a powerful way, that there would be doors of opportunity open to them to teach Bible studies. We've got some powerful men and women up here that have divine wisdom and are consuming the word. They are called to the word and they are doing it. Me and Pastor Dustin have been talking about it. He said there are some ministers in this church. He said they love the word of God. I'm speaking to people who love it but I want you to back them up right now and ministers I want you to pray for the people and say God I commit myself that while they're reading the Bible I'm going to be like the man of God that says understand us what thou readest. It's your job to come alongside these people that are reading the Bible and say to them do you understand what you're reading. It's okay, people of God, to read your Bible and have questions. Come and ask the ministry. Come and talk to them. Come and ask them and say, what does this mean? And they will break it down with you because their calling is to equip you. It goes back and forth. But you've got to be reading a Bible in order for them to say, understand us what thou readest. Come on, there is a beautiful spirit that's breaking forth right now. It's unity as the ministers serve the people and the people serve the ministry. There's a unity that's coming into this room right now. And God is pleased with what he's feeling from the saints of God and his called ones. There's a beautiful symmetry that's happening in 
the Spirit. This is unity, what we're feeling right now. We're agreeing, He is Lord. His Word is above all. We're submitted to it. And God is moving in our midst right now because of the unity that's being created. Yes, 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 yes.